This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Welcome to the Candid Life podcast, where we turn our broken hallelujahs into melody lines of impact. And I am your host, Lydia Gargo. Today, I am in Manchester, United Kingdom with my younger brother, Peter Botchway, who lives in Kenilworth, Warwickshire in the United Kingdom. He is a husband, a father, an engineer and the primary support for our aging parents, our mom, Angelica, who is 83, and our dad, Renee, who is 90. Today, we are going to look specifically at caring for an aging parent. Primarily in section one, I will get a chance to talk a little bit more with Peter, find out a bit more about him. In segment two, recognizing the needs, and segment three, taking care of an aging parent, in our case, our aging parents. One of the statistics I found, according to the Office of National Statistics here in the UK, says the life expectancy for males, 79.4 years, and for females, 83.1. And according to the Carers UK, so 6.5 million people are carers, 40% care for a parent, a parent-in-law, and 4% a grandparent, 7% for another relative. Now, moving on with this, it shows very clearly that we have an aging population. Of course, my parents are over that um, statistic that I just currently mentioned. But before we dive right in, let me just say hello to Peter. Hello, Lydia. (laughs) And how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. That's great. So, let, let's just look very quickly at this whole thing before we, we dive right in. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. So, of course, we grew up, um, we spent quite a number of years in Zambia together, and then we moved to Manchester. So, before that, so, and that even in Zambia, where we were both, well, where I was born anyway, I lived most of my life with mum. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time keeping mum company as the youngest in the family. So uh, literally moving to Mufalira and other parts of Zambia and staying with mum. So you could say uh, mum's always been there. And even when you and I came to the UK in 89, it was you and I and mum until, you know, for at least three years before dad finally joined us. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, when we came to to Manchester, I went to university here, and then you moved to Birmingham to -hmm. study. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did you study? I did a four-year degree in electromechanical engineering coming out of the B-Eng, and subsequently got employment in the UK, whereas you and your husband and family then relocated to the US. So I'm the only sibling in the UK with the parents, and I've always preferred to stay in the UK just because I felt it was a nice environment. And also, you know, in a way, never really thought about it, but it was close to the parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably was the best decision you could have made. Yeah, um, coming got... out, it's playing out that way. So. <laughs> it is actually yeah. planning out that way, yes. Um, you got married to Claire, you have three beautiful children, and 
I mean, you're basically settled, really. Mm. You're basically settled there. And so over the last couple of years, though, um, I think one of the biggest things that I have spotted about you, just observing you closely, and that's not to say I'm stalking you, <laughs> but your overall positive attitude, you've been, you know, maybe the engineering you, but very, very methodical in your thinking. You are very strategic in the way you address mm. things. And I've seen that really translate into the way that you've looked after our parents. And I find that very inspirational. Um, Thank you. Personally. So just coming in, really, when did you start noticing? I mean, of course, whilst we're here t together, um, the other retired, we call her the other, by the way. <laughs> she retired from the uh, Royal Eye Hospital because mm -hmm. that was where she was working for several years. Mm. And she retired primarily on medical grounds. She mm -hmm. had the sciatica, which was causing so many problems. And so she moved away and s stayed home, mm -hmm. basically. And uh, you were still studying at the time mm. when she retired. I was home because mm. I, I studied from home. But having moved to America, what were some of the things that you noticed over time? Because... Just going back a wee bit, so even when both of us were here studying and mum had retired, there were not, you know, mum was always a social character running different groups trying to bring Ghana, Ghana culture mm -hmm. to the wider populace to increase awareness of what happened in Ghana, what happens in Ghana and the different traditional activities they run. So, you know, us being the youngest and being available, I was roped into a number of activities, you know, going to... Um, Roman baths and helping to dish out Ghanaian food, you know, running events, preparing reports and other things like that. So it was uh, it was interesting from that perspective of an early support mm -hmm. to mum mm -hmm. and the things she did. I, when I subsequently went to university and got a job in Swindon, which, you know, was about four hours away from Manchester. Uh, firstly, the parents thought I was moving to Swinton Grove, which is five minutes <laughs> drive away. So... They thought I was talking, you know, they mistranslated the D for a T, but when they realized, you know... It was it a lot was, further. It, it was a lot further, <laughs> and, you know, they weren't, it wasn't too much of an upheaval or uh, a stress point for them, but, um, you know, I then created my own life further afield, and, you know, as with everything, I still commuted back and forth on a monthly basis to see the parents, make sure they were doing okay, just check in on them. As time has transpired, as they have grown older, you know, um, and also I've had my own family trying to recognize that my parents need, had more needs. Mm -hmm. It took a bit of time to recognize that, you know, because mom in the meantime had had um, a significant back operation, yes. which I hadn't really appreciated how serious it was, if I'm mm -hmm. going to be honest about it. You know, so I was a bit remote, you know, we had Dorothy, Eugene, Lydia all flying in. And, you know, I don't know whether it's because I had, uh, you know, uh, Angel had been born at that time, my first uh, mm -hmm. daughter, but I wasn't that engaged, uh, you know, but even though I used to come up frequently still. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as time has gone on, I think it's just recognizing that, um, you know, following mum's diagnosis of dementia, I can't recall when exactly that happened, ironically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I mean, so. you're talking about... You know, us flying in after her, her operation, mm. everything seems to be such a blur. I mean, I do yes. remember very clearly, though, that she had really 
as opposed to the test of time mm. and resisted having this operation. Mm. But things got so bad, you know, every position was painful. Mm. There was never any, you know, position she could stand or sit or lie in that gave her any kind of relief. And it really was the last straw mm. that she decided to go ahead and do this operation. But that was amidst a lot of concerns that she would not recover from it and a, a lot of anxiety. Mm. Um, but that probably was the operation that gave her a new lease of life. Yeah. You know, yeah. on so many levels. Yeah, and again, even, uh, you know, my wife Claire reminds me that I don't even remember some of the things that happened with her kids. I don't recall mum ever complaining about back pain. No. I mean, you know, rarely this ever complained. That's how stoic she is. And, uh, you know, I remember when I came up once, you know, dad was in the lounge and I thought, mm, he smells a bit, you know, and this is this is a man who bathes about two or three times a day. And, oh, I remember you know, that, yeah. It, it was one of those where I think I got a sense that he was really scared or really worried about mm. the operation that was going to happen, mm. you know, but it still didn't, you know, ring any alarm bells for me mm -hmm. because I thought, oh, mom's gone in for an operation. It's a lengthy operation. She'll come out fine. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't worried about it. And guess what? She came out fine. Mm -hmm. And for about uh, two or so years, she was pain free, mm -hmm. you know. And when the pain came back, that's when, you know, recognition that literally, you know, mom was growing older and so was dad, you know, but mom at a more accelerated rate than dad. So, you know, started to recognize that there was more happening, the mm -hmm. dementia diagnosis happening. So it was, you know, and I can't recall whether it was one specific event or just a multitude of them, but it was just recognizing that, you know, um, mom the meds mum was on there seemed to be an issue where she wasn't either medicating herself well or keeping control of the meds well so it was just the need to try and engage more to understand what was going on you know um but at that point in time i'd already taken over the financial um uh, i had the power of attorney to finances because i recognized that everything was all over the place right. there was a need to just bring that under control harmonize things get all the bills paid so there wasn't any worries or concerns there mm -hmm. but yeah the you know just seeing the number of, from a medical perspective a health perspective it was just seeing the amount of meds that she had just to contend taken. with and you know the phone calls suggesting oh mom's gone to a and e for this that and the other it's just it needed time to then investigate and understand what was going on so how, how many years would you say that was just before we kind of jump into that time skills i can't recall <laughs> I suppose everything just merges into a blur because, you know, you talked about the operation. Prior to the operation, she was having these uh, epidurals in her back okay. to try I and, yeah, that. she was actually having epidurals in the back to try and numb the pain, I mm. suppose. And they were working for a season and then they stopped. Mm -hmm. And that was really what pushed her to the okay. operation okay. point. So, you know, not to cut you short, but mm. coming back to... Um, recognizing the need to to get involved and investigate because of all the different medications all the different hospital visits there was just a multitude of things mm. that um dad had to start dealing with which and on, on, on many levels almost felt like he was weighing over his head mm. um to try and understand mm -hmm. what was happening so you 
yeah, stepping yeah, in really yeah. was such a critical thing. Yeah, and in order to step in and engage with the health specialists, health carers, it was a case of understanding the whole the meds, the history, and other things, and actually logging it so that whenever we engage with the specialist, I was able to rattle off the medical history or the meds that she was on. So it was it was one of those. It was then attending the medical visits, you know, making a time out, getting time off work to facilitate all this type of thing, and then as time and that was a fortnightly visit then. You know, mm -hmm. Because, you know, uh, the parents still were independent, you know, in my eyes, still fairly independent at that point. But um, I can't recall when I actually started doing weekly visits. And then there was a period where I actually started spending three, four days here, okay. leaving my family alone in Kenilworth. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's one of those. It's, it's a blur. Uh, it continues to be a blur at this point in time. I mean, talking about the blur, would you say it's because... Um Again, it's just going into that utter mode of compassion where you feel yeah. that you have to address no, the need of your parents. You know, you need, need what do. you do. Yeah. And I think also just having a wife who has been very gracious in in yeah, in coming has. alongside and supporting you because she had a parent as well. She also yeah, had to support, support her dad mm -hmm. um, during the time when her mum was ill yeah, yeah. as well. You know, uh, her mum's illness was a short duration and her mum passed, you know, so mm -hmm. in a way, thankful for that, you know, because nobody wants to see their parents die in front of them. Of course. Which is a very challenging thing. And there's mm -hmm. discussions I've had with mum, you know, because the thing is, uh, there's a recognition that, you know, the end is nigh, the circle of life will complete. And being open and transparent about these type of things means that uh, you become more prepared. Okay. You, know? uh, you become more prepared and also the person on the other side hopefully gets becomes less concerned about what is to happen. Right. You know, um, so one of the things I do and have been doing for a number of years is just talking to mum in the third person to a certain degree saying, my mother does this, my mother does that. <laughs> You know, is that more of a psychological a prep psych thing is, for yeah. you? It's, it's one of those just to let her know that the lessons she taught us right. actually bedded in, you know, and they've actually helped form the characters, form the individual that I am today mm -hmm. and my siblings. They have really been, you know, you know, all the ear pinching and all that we joke about, but they were part of the formative development mm -hmm. requirement that I went through to make me who I am and the others who they are. You know, we all have different personalities, mm -hmm. you know, but we all look back and there are significant influences from both parents. You know, most of the time from mum, because mum was always there, you know, so it, it's all good. If you are joining us, we are listening to the Candid Life podcast, and I'm your host, Lydia. And today I am here with my younger brother, Peter, in Manchester, England. We talked a little bit about um, getting to know you. Like I said, Peter is an engineer. Uh, he is currently, I would call him the primary support uh, caregiver of my parents. My dad is 90, my mom is 83, and she's been having a couple of health challenges. She was also diagnosed with the early onset of dementia. We're going to carry on moving on and talking about how you are taking care of the parents, you know, not just identifying their needs, but 
your needs as well. You know, you talked about, um, of course, your wife, um, Claire, whose mom passed as well from an illness. Her dad is currently alive and she does provide some support mm -hmm. to, to him. But how in having that, she's also able to come alongside you and support you as you look after um, mom and dad in, in this season. So what things have you done to try and help mom and dad have more practical support? You live about a, an hour, an yeah. hour, an hour and a half away, two, right? Two, two hours, hours actually, away. a lot, oof, two and a half yeah. hours away. But you mean you've been coming, if first it was fortnightly, and then, you know, a couple of days a week, just to try and make sure things were put in place for them. Now you've been coming once a week? Uh, well, for, um, yeah, once a week, a couple of days. Or a couple of days a yeah, week, because overnight. you're working at home from home as well with COVID. Yeah, yeah. So that, in a way, has been a blessing. Yeah, so let's see. Um, yeah, throughout the whole of COVID, you know, the initial part, there were concerns about coming up and seeing the parents who, you know, with mum's weakened immune system. But again, you know, and the laws, mm -hmm. you know, so essentially broke the laws to come and make these visits because in my eyes, they were essential. You know, so I had no issues about that if I was ever stopped, but I was never ever stopped by the police, so that was fine. So what have I put in place? Mm -hmm. What have you put in place for them? Uh, uh, for them, um, it was recognition, you know, so COVID had an impact on the plans, you know, because of the lockdowns and such. So I'd already engaged the local council because of where we are in the UK, there is a lot of medical and physical support available to individuals. So the local council, but on the basis of the um, uh, taxes that we pay, uh, provide support to elderly parties or parties that are, call it infirm, in order to make their lives a bit better, a bit easier. So uh, past back end of 19, I'd already, even earlier than that, I'd applied for complex equipment support because mum uh, had already had some special chairs, handrails fitted to enable her to traverse the stairs because of her back operation. But as time has gone on, the need has become greater. So uh, we've recognised that making access uh, more, you know, access making the house more accessible mm -hmm. has been quite fundamental. So. Lockdown happened during uh, 2020, which meant that a number of the council offices were closed down and couldn't go out and do visitors visits. Uh, there was already a backlog. So uh, early part of 21 is where things really started to take back in the 20s when things started to take off with uh, assessments actually occurring, which then identified that, you know, there was complex uh, equipment support that could be provided to mum. Um, alongside that, we recognize that physical care support could be provided as well. So we sought to get the modi no, upstairs bathroom modified to make it a wet room. But as time went on, we recognized that mom was becoming weaker and mm -hmm. the stairs much more of a challenge, you know. So significant risk of fall down the stairs with osteoporosis would most likely lead to a, an extended hospitalization period. And with her dementia... Mum has had some episodes uh, when hospitalized, which were not savory at all mentally. Mm, mm. So seeking to avoid that. So, yeah, uh, looking at trying to get the property extended on the ground floor so they can literally live downstairs and not have to uh, navigate up and down the stairs. Yeah. And also care and support daily mm -hmm. to help the parents out. What has been the biggest challenge, though, 
for you, especially getting the support? Because I know dad <laughs> is oh. a very independent person. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, for a while there, it was he just was not yeah. moving. Uh, there's, there's still, yeah. In a, so, dad's an independent individual. He's still strong. He's still able to do things. Uh, and quite religious. So prayer becomes a significant part of what he does. Mm -hmm. And he believes that if he prays, he will be made strong and he will carry on doing what he can do without realizing that you know, other people helping him would also make him strong in mm -hmm. that perspective. So trying to get carer support felt to him as so they would weaken him in a way and take away things that he was able to do rather than recognize that with a carer's providing support, he would then be able to do other value-add activities. Mm -hmm. you know, because his life seems to be currently dedicated to maintaining mum's condition, trying to make mum's living day more bearable. And there's elements of him forsaking his own needs, mm -hmm. you know, because he's essentially isolated himself from all these other, you know, contacts he has in the right. UK. Whereas right. mom has, you know, even even with her <laughs> she dementia, has got a lot of she support. She has Friends. a strong network. She mm -hmm. still engages them. You mm -hmm. know, her mobile phone is a significant device that keeps her connected. You yes. know, we've had scares of the mobile phone being lost, but thank goodness it hasn't. Mm. You know, so um, yeah, no, the real challenge has just been, you know, uh, getting dad in a place where he can accept support from other parties. So in order to try and make that happen, especially with the carers, has really been literally just having a, a sit down meeting with the carers to introduce them to my parents so that my parents know who they are and then hopefully can relate to them as well mm -hmm. you know with respect to the physical modifications you know that's not been an issue for dad it's right. been easily accepted that's been more a challenge with mom mm. ironically but, um yeah it's yeah getting there because i mean i think you, t you talk about dedication i remember speaking to dad some time ago and he said um I had sent him the autobiography to read of Granddad. And he said, look, I, I can't read it right now because right now my mind is full. You know, the two most important things for me is to make sure that your mom's medication is, you know, done correctly. And also to prepare for the service, the night service. Those are the only two most important things for him. Everything else falls to the wayside. And, you know, him saying that really struck a chord with me, you know, as, as, as a married person, just knowing that level of dedication to your spouse and their well-being is, um, is not only admirable, but just, it just reminds you of what your vows about, you know, in sickness and in health till death do you part. I mean, nowadays it's taken so lightly, but just his dedication to make sure that, you know, that that is well looked after, sometimes at the peril of his own health. But just the comfort, though, that he's beginning to understand that the carers, his prayers are being answered through those carers, is, the light bulb is coming on, I suppose. Yeah, you know, the it, light bulb is dim, coming, <laughs> it's coming, it's on. coming on, but yeah. it, like you said, a little dim, 
you know, but it is coming on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's something that we all just have to keep pressing yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's edging yeah. on. It's, it's and then, like you said, you know, exactly. It's dealing with change. And the other as well, her determination. She's also very set in her ways yeah, yeah. and trying to adjust the dial a little bit to, mm-hmm. to help them to um, get things done. But mm-hmm. we're making some progress, right? Mm-hmm. We're yeah, making yeah, a little yeah. bit of progress yeah. as, as we move along. But what have you been doing, though, to take care of yourself well, as a carer? Yeah, it's, um, you know, when COVID struck the whole world, well, my world slowed down anyway, so that gave me more time mm-hmm. to assess and identify what was value added. Mm-hmm. And in that, you know, I was also going through my own mental issue. So COVID slowing everything down was great because then... Uh, you know, the ability to refocus on my family, on, you know, my parents, uh, re-engaging with my friends as well, helped to rebuild me, you know, and also develop other skill sets, which, you know, had been hidden away because, you know, a certain amount of keeping in control of my life was around, really revolving around work. Mm-hmm. which is what had driven me to having a mental breakdown. So, you know, trying to put work on the back burner and focus on what was actually important was a very big thing. So, you know, there's an element of working in a neutral space when it comes to emotion in order to try and just address things, to try and make things more bearable and livable for my parents, you know, uh, and again, you know, trying to do things that are fun, that keep me entertained. And, you know, at this point in time, it's investing in stocks because there's a lot of reading and research, which is fun and challenging. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that I noticed when um, you, you, you came down this weekend to see us, and uh, I appreciate you for doing that, but you made breakfast for um, the parents first thing in the morning, mm. and then you went off to do your uh, into your meetings, you know, and then when you have a moment, you come down and you make lunch for them. And so, again, just investing. It's not about how much time you spent, really. It's about the quality of time mm-hmm. that you spent. And just watching that was, again, just an inspirational moment. And sometimes we, we find that we have to do be always be around but it's the quality of time that's the most important thing mm-hmm. me coming down from the states um having this week to just be with them mm-hmm. go on walks with them again i broke protocol because <laughs> I'm, I'm supposed to be quarantined but i'm like you know what i'm here to see my parents i'm gonna break this because i need to be with them you mm-hmm. know that's the priority and just doing things around the house to just help them uh make their life a little easier whilst you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the it's the most important thing. Some people feel, well, my parents are far away. I can't do anything. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You know, give them a call. Visit if you can. Send them letters. Whatever practical assistance that you can give to make your aging parents, if you live away from home, better. Do that. Nothing is too small, right? Nothing mm-hmm. is too small. Um what I mean, what advice would you give for somebody who's looking after an aging parent? I know for me, patience is number one. Mm. <laughs> okay, um, patience is key. And with other having dementia, I've no, I noticed one day she was having one of those episodes where she saw something on the on the ground, an insect, and she was covering it up with tape. And instead of what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Just listening in and trying to figure out 
where she's at and how you can come alongside and support. It's not about being right. Really, it's about being heard a lot of the time. And mm -hmm. so being patient and recognizing where she's at yeah. and finding a way of coming alongside and support her. I remember somebody once said, you know, you're once an adult and twice a child. And just helping Dada with some of her day-to-day -day yeah. needs has just been probably the most humbling thing for me as a daughter to come alongside her and mm -hmm. Papa as well and yeah. help her in her time of need. Yeah. But being patient and just recognizing that the woman who has always been strong all of a sudden is in this place of vulnerability mm -hmm. and it's my responsibility to, to pick her up, mm -hmm. you know, um, in that time. I mean, what are your thoughts no, no, on no, that? No. Patience is a significant piece, you know, especially when you have somebody who is suffering from mm -hmm. dementia and forgets. Mm -hmm. you know, so you may have the same question five, ten times. That's and right. you have to answer it in the same calm fashion. You know, in order to, you know, because there's no point getting upset, you know, and also uh, the ability of the individual, you know, physical challenges mom faces means she's going to move slowly, you know, uh, and getting upset with her moving slowly is not worth anything at all. You mm -hmm. know? So again, that patience piece is so significant, but the other element I'd flag is the listening piece, listening very carefully to try and interpret and understand what is being said. Because there may be little nuggets in there that come through amongst all the other noise, which mm -hmm. is dementia triggered. But, you know, there's an element of just listening. Because, again, keeping the person in that state with dementia calm is very helpful. You know, because there is still a very strong-minded individual with rules of operation in mum. <laughs> You, you know, are there right. Was a really strong <laughs> and, you know, yes. Lessons we've been taught about, you know, cleaning the rooms, cleaning the kitchen, eating silently, they still persist. Of and, course. You know, uh, we'll be tied the person who ignores that because they will get a shelf remark. <laughs> so, patience and listening, you know, are really, you know, the biggest any uh, words of advice anybody's going to, you know, I'd suggest to anybody. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things you talk about mom, one of the things she taught me growing up is learn to listen, listen to learn. Mm. You know, learn to listen, listen to learn. And that is true. That listening piece is critical because mm -hmm. it's only through that listening that you can truly learn. And just a final question before we close up. In the middle of the season that we're in right now, um, you being the primary, I'll say caregiver, uh, CFO, a financial officer and all the other terms you want to throw in there. What does it mean for you to live the candid life? What does it mean for you to live authentically in this season as an individual now? Peace of mind. That's the biggest element. You know, it's, uh, yeah, do what you need to and have a peace of mind. You know, the phrase uh, currently coining is, literally do what you need to so you can do what you want to mm. you know, do what uh, you need to so, so you can and, do and, what you want you know, to everybody needs that time to decompress to just relax otherwise you can't keep running at the same level you know cars run out of fuel at some point in time so do individuals and one's mental health you know if i were to, you know, mental health or physical well-being if something happened to me then i cannot support my parents and my family so it's it's one of those pieces that I need to really 
keep my check on and make sure that I am getting that time to decompress. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you, all of you, for listening to the Candid Life podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We focus today on taking care of our elderly parents or aging parents. And specifically, we focused in segment one on getting to know Peter, my brother. Segment two, recognizing the needs of our parents and also our own personal needs. And segment three, taking care of our parents, but also taking care of ourselves. On behalf of Peter and myself, Lydia Gago, thanks for listening to the Candid Life podcast, and we hope for you to join us soon. Thank you. Inaendeshwa na Afripods.